Good morning, oh. motherfucker. Oh, there he is. What up, dude? Hey, uh, we're, we're recording. Yeah, dude. I'm just, I'm awake. <laughs> dude, how was it? Yesterday, dude, doing, doing the golf range and stuff. Oh, it was nice. Nice. Did you end up going on that date? Um, yeah, I hung out with. I hung out with that girl. Nice. Nice, dude. Sounds like a good time. It was a good time. Um, dude, tell me. I'm going to go up my balcony right now. Tell me if it's too construction soundy. Uh, no, it sounds like chirping. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> There's some horny birds out here. They're getting after it, chasing each other. Dude, those sound like the short calls, like the ones that are supposed to be like alarms. Kind of like they're alarmed to see you. <laughs> they don't sound like the long mating calls. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes I confuse those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm what you call an optimist, you know? I just <laughs> assume the best. Dude. Well, yeah, usually that works out well. <laughs> Dude, so, um, okay, so uh, I want to tell you about Savannah a little bit. So, we, dude, I do want to know, but I was going to ask about Savannah. That's what I want to hear about. Dude, this place is not what I expected at all, and it, in the best way possible. So, like, I show up, and the Uber driver is driving us in, and, like, we're going by some, like, small houses and, like, apartment houses, and we're driving up, and there's, like, what looks like a city. It's all brick and stuff, and I was like, huh. Like, we must be pretty far from Savannah. And he goes, oh, welcome to downtown. I, like, look around. I'm like, what? Dude, none of the buildings here are big. Like, it's not, like, it doesn't look like a city. It literally looks like we entered a town. It's like a small town. And, like, all of the, all the buildings look like they're from, uh, like, the early 1900s or, like, 1800s. Like, it literally, you just walk around, and it literally, like, they just, it just literally looks like they just stopped. And they just stopped making the outsides different and just started renovating the insides of all these buildings. Like, everything is, it was, it's nuts. And so, like, it's basically, you go around, and we're in just the ideal location, like, right by the river. And on the other side, as we go south from the hotel, they have these, like, micro parks. And we're walking past it. And they're just like, they have a statue and they have these really beautiful trees and this like immaculate lawn in there. And uh, we passed one statue where they told this history of some like Haitian soldiers that helped them in the revolution. And it was awesome. And so walk down and literally I go on Yelp and I'm like, all right, what's good around, what food's good around here? And everything is like five stars. (laughs) There's like a hundred places to eat, five stars, everything. Go to this place it's called the Trailer Park, dude. We get there, and I may this this restaurant may be my top five best restaurant I've ever eaten at. Like Trailer Park, huh? Yeah, it's called the Trailer Park. We sit down there, and the name is it. It's just we literally sit down. It says like home. The slogan's like home is where you park it, or whatever. And <laughs> that's pretty funny, dude. We get down there. They have these deep fried avocado fries. So they just take slices of avocado, fry it, and you dip it in this like sauce. They have these mega nachos where they have waffle fries and this like balsamic, like spicy mayo dip. And then they come at me. And so Christian, she orders us this sandwich. It's an apple. Dude, it's like a fried chicken apple pie sandwich. Like, What? And then I order a it was uh, it was a chicken biscuit. It was fried chicken gravy on just a homemade biscuit with collard greens, and it was just like, oh my god! It sounds like you're just throwing buzzwords at me for food. They kind of like put all the just American foods you could imagine, and like like they put they put them on some dice, (laughs) dice, and then like. Rolled it out and like, okay, this is what we're serving today. Yeah. Okay, apple pie and fried chicken. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
dude, it's like the most American food ever. Like, it just was so, it was, the biscuit was amazing. It's just, dude, the food, I literally, we, our waitress was like laughing at us. Because she's like, oh, you guys ready to eat? And we're like, yeah, we'll have this cocktail, I'll have a beer, I'll have the nachos, avocado fries, uh, I'll have the same chicken biscuit. And she was like, yeah, I'll have like the apple pie chicken thing. And all their servings are enormous. So like she comes out with the nachos. It's just a fat plate, like enough to feed two people. And she like serves it. We're like, oh my God, eat it. And then she comes out and she like kind of timidly was like, um, here's your second course. <laughs> like, yeah, bring it on. Bring it on, dude. Oh my God. I was like, dude, like I was lady. You don't know how much I can eat. Yeah, dude. It was honestly, it was almost gross how much I was eating. Like, I got to a point where I was still eating, and I was like, I feel kind of, I feel kind of embarrassed at this point how much I'm putting away. But, dude, I was like, I have, I have seen how much you are capable of eating, and it is frightening, dude. And, dude, I've been working out since I've been working out twice a day now. My appetite is just skyrocketed. Like, I've been trying to eat more to, like, bulk up, you know? And it's just uh-huh. – but now that I'm working out twice a day, I don't feel bad about it. Like, I feel like I can be, I can be like, a, like, a fat boy, but, like, I'm not fat. I just – I work out so much that I can just eat a shitload of food. And so it's, Dude, like, amazing. I mean, why is your – I mean, you've already proven that you're able to cut weight. So just get a little chubby, pack up on the muscle, and then cut the weight slowly and reveal it. Exactly, dude. Exactly. Reveal. I got build it up. Reveal it. That's dude, the point. In order to, in order to chis away at the obelisk that is your body, you need <laughs> a good stone to work with. Yes. <laughs> I love that, dude. <laughs> that's like, dude. That you know that that's like a that'd be like an Instagram influencer quote. You know, like when they put the like the little purple background and they have the little quote in front of it. <laughs> That's that would be that'd be a quote, dude. Dude, it would be a good one. It's a it'd be a good one, dude. It's a good one, man. Yeah, man. So anyway, we're going today again. I woke up naturally just at five thirty, which is four thirty central. Woke up and I was like, ah, I kind of want to keep going to sleep. My body's like, nope, <laughs> you're getting up. <laughs> All right, fine. So woke up, just been reading, and, uh, and that's it. We're gonna take on the day today. Oh yeah, dude, that is awesome. Yeah, dude, that is just that is. Oh man, I want to go to that city really bad. That's just that's on my that is on my short list of cities to visit. Dude, you know what, man? Um, it's it's a good one. And honestly, after like we've done a little bit of travel, like when we went to Boston, now we're going to Savannah. Um, you guys came to Texas. I've just now I've realized like there's some. I always kind of knew there were dope spots in the United States. There's some really dope cities here. And you can you can travel for, like, super cheap. Like, I think our, tic- our tickets here were maybe, like, I think it was, like, 400 round trip. Which for travel... For uh, no, for each of us. 400. That's not that good, dude. I bet you find cheaper than that. I mean, to travel, half- to travel halfway across the United States and back... Wait, wait, from Texas to Georgia? Texas to Georgia and back. I know, but I mean, I, I find tickets from the two times I visited you, I paid under $300 for a brown trip. Oh, nice. There you go. Yeah, so it's like um, you can get even cheaper. I was saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying go cheaper. I, I was like, I don't like to pay over 400 bucks for flights. Yeah. Yeah, so you can, yeah, so you can go cheaper. So maybe, yeah, so maybe I didn't even, to me it seemed cheap, but you know, it's like you can get even cheaper. You know what I mean? So you can like, and dude, you fine for you can fine for work too much, where you just <laughs> yeah. flights convenient. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty true. <laughs> dude, yeah, when it's not, yeah, especially when it's not my dime, I just don't give a fuck. Yeah, I, you're just like, hmm, this one leaves at the exact time I want. Dude, I also like, yeah. Well, I also there's also a way to do it. But I don't know. I don't want to disclose my once. We're gonna be posting this, and work's gonna be listening to it. So I don't want to talk too much about my 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 flight finding ways. But yeah, no, it's it's good. Um, but yeah, dude. Honestly, like I'm thinking now. I've started my travel fund where I save ten percent of my paycheck 
I put into my travel savings fund. And honestly, you can you can do a trip. If you do it right, honestly, I bet you could do 500 bucks. If you do it just right. I could do, you could do 500, well, maybe 700 if you include stay. But if you do it right, dude, you can travel across the United States and make each trip be about five to 600 bucks and have a badass time. And you don't have to learn. There's no language barrier. There's no passport needed. <laughs> like everything operates the same as everything at home. That is what is that is nice about flying domestic is that. Yeah, there's not none of the customs and all that stuff. Right. That's not that bad. I think it's kind of overrated on how bad everyone says it is. It's yeah, it's it's really not like. I think, well, I think it's gotten really good recently. And I just remember my grandparents, they traveled in their 50s. They're like 80s. They're in their 80s now, um, my, my, my dad's parents. But I remember them telling me, they're like, all these horror stories. And they're like, oh, I was trying to, like in Italy, they're trying to figure out the train system. And they're like, it was all in Italian and no one spoke English. And we were just like, we couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even understand how much to pay. And like, I was there like arguing with the teller about trying to get a, train ticket somewhere and we were sleeping outside waiting for our train at 2 a.m i think those used to be problems and i think now they just everything's automated so you just go up to the train ticket automated thing and you just go english <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like you know and then like everyone speaks english so i like i got lost in italy trying to like get on the train and so i literally I, my mom couldn't like move as quick as me so she sat down in the main area and I literally was running up and down the like by the tracks because they had like three three to six tracks all lined up and so I was like running on these tunnels I was lost and finally I just found this like maintenance guy driving around and I just stopped him just a guy who just you know just would have no reason to know English like it was you know just a just some regular old dude working you know living his life and I was like oh, hey man I'm lost like where do I go just spoke perfect English <laughs> it's just like yep you go here and you're here, and then here's a map, and you go there, and then jump on the train. Like, yeah, get your train. Yeah, we did barely, dude. We literally, we literally like barely made it, and it was, it was, it was a situation where like it was like an Amtrak deal, you know. So like you get on there, it costs like it costs like hundred, couple hundred bucks, and it was from Rome to Florence. So like it would have been a real bitch if we missed it, but we literally got on it and barely made it, and the doors closed, and yeah, it was sick. But Dude, there's a there's a funny story. I it was about like this was about um, like just referencing like trains in Japan and Europe. And this guy calls up. It's uh, I say we'll call it Japan. Calls up the train station where he has a layover, and he's uh, and he says, "Hey, I'm getting two trains, but there's only five minutes of my layover. Like, is that going to be enough time?" to get from one train to the other. And she says, hmm, let me look up real quick. Well, from your train to this other train is a three-minute and 18-second walk. So you should have time. <laughs> like, things are just that <laughs> punctual. Like, they just leave. What? At the time that they're supposed to go, like, always. So mm. it's just like, the lady just was like, yeah, what do you mean? It's three-minute, 18-second walk. You will have time. <laughs> Just like, as in, there's nothing else that's gonna happen to slow you down. Like, yeah, you will, everything is calculated yeah. to the T. <laughs> it's just like, no, you get off that train and you get on this one. There you go. <laughs> that's like such a. That's such a. That was in Japan. I think it was Japan. It might have been Europe. Okay, that is that is too funny. That is too funny. That that sounds like a Japanese thing. Like it's just a super efficient robotic <laughs> answer. Dude, I tell you what was interesting was in uh, the dinners that I had in Italy, it was the total opposite of that, where like you would, you know, you sit down in an American restaurant, you know, you, you kind of expect to get like served pretty quick. And if you were quick about it, your whole interaction there could be like 30 minutes, unless it's like a really sit down formal place. They'll kind of give you some more time to chit chat and drink and stuff. But, dude, in Europe, any place you sit, you need to just – or at least – sorry. I should just say in Florence and Rome, <laughs> where I went. I can't generalize an entire continent, but <laughs> the restaurants where I went to, everywhere I went was, like, you sit down, and you just – you should probably count on being there about an hour and a half. 
Like you. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've heard that in longer even sometimes where I've heard. Yeah, but it was kind of like when you nice. preserve a table, it's not like it's not like they've got reservations lined up behind you. It's like yeah, that's your table for the night. Yeah, exactly. Like they, you literally, you'll get a couple cocktails, maybe a couple appetizers, and then you wait, and they'll come by eventually, and then just yeah, it was it's it's cool. And then after you finish, you sit and have a few more cocktails. Mm-hmm. Some maybe some coffee, and then like yeah. a dessert later. But you eat. What's nice about it is in America, when you have a a meal for thirty minutes, it's like appetizer, dinner, uh, and dessert with all two cocktails. And that's like, and so you can't really do all that. Like you're really full. But when you take like an hour and a half to two hours, it feels more natural and more gradual to go from an appetizer to a dinner to a dessert. You have time to like kind of digest in between. Yeah, it's like the right pace. Right, exactly. The right, yeah, exactly. It's like the right pace to eat. So. It kind of puts the emphasis on the on the social interaction too, instead of the food. Right, which I like a lot. I like that a lot. It's giving people yeah. the time to, to talk, you know, and they don't always have to be eaten, which is nice. Dude, someone yeah, yeah, go it's ahead. It's nice to have to rush things sometimes. Yeah. It's I think that's I think that's the balance everybody's trying to find, you know. Cause there is a there is times there are certain times like at work or at a coffee joint where it's like you want to be kinda like chop chop. Yeah, and I just think I, I think that's not that's not the case in other some other countries. I think, and then there's remember reading this other thing. I think it's like uh, like some Scandinavian country, but it's like like saying you got caught up talking to a friend is a very acceptable excuse to stay late, really be late to something because yeah, they believe that any conversation that you like happen to do. Like the polite and appropriate thing to do is to let it run its course. Wow, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, I'm like same, same way to go. I mean, at the same time, it feels like the part of me that wants things to be efficient is like, dude, just hurt the guy's feeling. It's okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, like if point, it's your buddy, he's gonna get it. Yeah. You know, there's also the balance of, like, you made a promise to someone else that you'd be somewhere or deliver something at a certain time, you know? Like, yeah. So, see, I think I think the, I think where the balance, and this is what I'm trying to figure out myself, I, like, where that balance is. And for me, I think the best balance is, for the place to start is work and then not work. So, if you're at work, to me, it's, like, that's the time when you really lean into efficiency and you lean into, like, Hey, sorry, I can't have this conversation right now. I've really got a lot of work to do. And you're just grinding. You're just hammering at it. Maybe you get early, maybe stay late. But while you're working, you're just going ham. And then when you're not working, that's when you can find the other balance, you know, where you're like uh, relaxing and just letting life sort of be more fluid like that, where you're like your conversations and your appointments are a little bit more fluid, more Scandinavian. Um but you can't have a straight binary <laughs> method, you know? Like you can't be like hard, hard ass at work all the time. And then once you're off work, you're just island time, bro. You know? But I think that's a good place to start to find a balance, you know? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. About having a different attitude during work. Yeah. And when I think about plans with friends... I mean, most of the time, I just pretty much assume they're going to start 15 minutes later than we what we say. Yeah. Especially if it's, like, I mean, it's different. If I'm, like, picking somebody up, I'll be on time or something, uh, you know, if I'm mm. driving to their place. But if I have friends coming over, whatever time I said, I just wait for the first person to show up, like, it, yeah. at a minimum 15 minutes after I told them. Yeah, absolutely. Or, like, dude, with a lot of plans, you always got to double check with people. Like a big one, a big one for me is like when you leave a float or some water or drinking activity and you're like, oh, let's go to your place and make some food. <clears throat> there's, there's the initial decision. You wait for everybody to go back, shower, and then you say once again, hey, you also want to hang out. Because, dude, opinions change when you get to the, when you get to the opportunity <laughs> to lay down in bed. 
opinions change. Yeah, dude, I think I'm just going to call this one. Sorry, yeah. man. Yep. That's so I always do after every float or after every drinking activity, if there's a secondary activity, I always, I, I never get my hopes up. <laughs> I always tell people, hey, listen, I want to go to your place right now, but like, I'm going to have to make another a game time decision once that bet, once I see that bet. Yeah, dude, it's not, it's not realistic. You just, yeah, it's hard to stack those things. Yeah. At least without a solid couple hour nap or something between. Yeah. Dude, I've been, um, uh, reading, oh, dude, I picked up David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of his books, honestly. He just, Dude, uh, just he, he always just has a very unique perspective on things. Yeah, that's what I like. He kind of like, I love how the way he phrases his uh, his books is always like, he just goes, here's what we typically think. But throughout this book, I'm going to challenge that and say why we should think otherwise. And then, yeah, he, and then he does. And he brings just, um, hmm, what's a good word for a large variety? I don't think plethora is. I think it's like all the same thing. But you know, he brings a large variety of um, eclectic, of different of different anecdotes. Would an eclectic work? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, he brings a, just a large variety of anecdotes to the table, and then at the end, he ties them all. He always ties them all together really well. Yeah. Yeah, I like it, man. He told the story of David and Goliath, which I really have. You read that book, or have you read the David and Goliath book? Yeah, I read it. Dude, his intro was amazing. I just, I love these biblical stories. And then when they attach science to it and they go like in history to it, I just, dude, it's just, it makes it better. That's kind of fun. It makes it better. Like sometimes people put pit science and religion against each other, but I think they make, I think they make each other better in a lot of ways. But um, dude, he talked about it and he's like, he's like anyone, he's like, if you get rid of the names, you get rid of the situation and you go slinger versus uh, melee soldier, like close combat soldier. He goes, anyone in the ancient world would have told you the slinger would have won 99 times out of 100. Like, that's how it worked. Like, slingers beat melee. Melee beat cavalry. Cavalry beat slingers. Like, that's that's kind of, like, generally how it worked in the ancient world. And so it wasn't a case of, like, you know, puny David somehow conquering giant Goliath. It was, like, no, he thought differently and then had a clear advantage over Goliath. In fact, it made way more sense that David beat Goliath. That fact that he was a slinger uh, versus a, a close combat melee opponent. Like yeah, the- I, I, love, I love throughout that book how he's constantly talking about how it's like <laughs> a lot of these guys, it's like a lot of these situations, it's... Um, the, the reasons that make these people the far more powerful and the, the favorite to win in all these situations is usually very correlated to the reason they don't. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, it's also the, you know, your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness in a lot of cases. Yeah. I, I think, I think the, uh, 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 an opinion I'm getting or like a conclusion I'm, I think this is kind of going to is like, the idea of balance and finding where the balance is. It seems like, cause he, cause he introduces the upside down you curve of like, uh, like for parenting, it's like, if you're really, really poor, it makes parenting very difficult because you can't spend a lot of time with your kids. You're working two or three jobs. But then the other side of the spectrum, if you have millions and millions of dollars, it makes it also really difficult to raise your kids because they don't understand the con. They, it's hard for them to understand the concept of like, we can't of like, we shouldn't buy this because it goes against their values versus we can't buy that. And so he talks about that. And then there it's like 75,000, like the ideal amount of money, whatever to raise a kid. Um, and so it seems like balance is the conclusion he's coming to, but I'm only about a quarter of the way through the book. So um, I think that is sort of like lessons. Yeah, that's, that's one of them. There's some other good conclusions he comes to in that book. Yeah. Like specifically, I really like the part he talks about um, once he starts talking about basketball. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, okay. that's a really good chapter. I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's it, it's it's very good. I think uh, I think I read the one about the twelve year olds. 
and the dude who never played basketball, and then he made the team, and they like yeah. full court press. Yeah, yeah. Like that one wasn't really about balance. Yeah, that one. That one was. What was that about? That was. That one was sort of about how. This the, guy came from Africa, and then basically playing basketball. You just what you don't do ever at youth basketball is press full court the whole game. Like it's just everyone just like is like yeah. Oh. Well, yeah. it's just a lot of effort, right? We're not going to teach our team to press full court, like, yeah, until it like really matters at the end. Yeah. But when you do that, you're giving huge advantage to the teams that are already better. You're just like letting them get set up each play and like run their plays fully. Mm-hmm. But this guy, I can't remember his name. He's actually, it's a hard name. Actually, it's like, yeah, he's, he's actually a very famous coach. Um, let me just look it up real quick. Um, I'm I'm gonna get I'm gonna get ripped on by by everybody. Friends about yeah. Let me get some ripped on by some friends. Let me let me get the book. I don't know this. Here I'll I'll, uh, I'll find it while you finish your. But thought, that's okay. Yeah. But he uh, but yeah, he starts doing this. It's okay. Even if we don't get him, already get ripped on for not remembering. <laughs> um, the so yeah he so he's like okay we're gonna run the full port court press all the time like that's just what we're gonna do and these teams just even though their team was so outmatched in ability level all of a sudden the full court press even the playing field and where they had advantage was these girls were practicing like running hard and getting shape so they could keep this up for the entire game whereas other teams just had no idea how to match this pace and they were just obliterating these teams that were so much more talented than they were than they were and so it just turns out that, like, this, this all-out effort, like, every moment, you know, it drastically decreases the advantage of the favorite team. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so, but even with knowing that, a lot of people don't do it. Yeah. Because it's hard. Oh, so, side note, it's Vivek Rand- Randi or Randy. Gotcha. I hope, um, I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but Vivek Randi. That's the, that's the coach. In, in the book, but yeah, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's because they it's too hard. It's just that it's not they don't want to go against the status quo. Like I, I, after that guy started doing it, people started saying, "Well, dude, this isn't fun. This isn't basketball." Yeah. Like, well, yeah, it is. I'm just playing a different. But everyone's just really salty that they're getting their ass whooped by somebody that doesn't know the game, that doesn't like quote unquote know the game. Dude, that story where he had the coach threw a chair at him. Dude, this is like 12, 12 year old girls, like middle school basketball. And one of the coaches literally threw a chair <laughs> at him. Like, he was so mad that they were beating him when they, like, quote, shouldn't have been beating him. Yeah, but it would be, um, I mean, it would be frustrating if you think about it. Like, oh, certainly. you do the game of basketball really well and you spend your whole life just playing the game, knowing the game. And there's just these, like, things that you just take for granted. For example, like, you know, the only full course press, press if it's an important time, then all of a sudden somebody comes in and just says that that, that quarter court doesn't know the game, hasn't played the whole life, and just does this new, like, implements this new strategy and just obliterates you. Yeah. you like, are you, I would be, I mean, you just be, I mean, it'd be pretty, like, kind of just reality shaking. Oh, big time. Big time. I, yeah, no, I, I'd probably be frustrated. I, I mean, anytime you feel like, because I think part of your brain goes like, this isn't right or this isn't fair or something. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't how it's supposed to go, you know? But, yeah, uh, exactly. Um, it, just, it doesn't feel just. In, in the NBA, do they do this? Or is there a better strategy than the full court press all the time? Uh, no, they don't. They don't full court press all the time. I, I do meet. Give me a half court lob, but I'm full court all press all the time. Okay. Although Malcolm Gladwell would argue that it would give it would give the underdogs an advantage in those situations. Right. I think um, that's. I think that's. Uh, those guys. I mean, but like, one of the advantages was these teams had never played against a defense that worked so hard. Mm-hmm. I think it would have a harder time holding up. And yeah, and actually, the coach. I think the coach is for Louisville now, but I'm not sure on that. 
I mean, I mean, yeah. I think he, yeah. I mean, eventually. Oh no, he actually. I think he did touch on that. No, I think you actually. So my memory on that. He talked about uh, that a full court press could be defeated by a team that was really good at passing and handling the ball. I think that was like sort of. The, yeah. and that, but his point was like, if you're the clear underdog, like you, you need to use, uh, like this methodology because you just simply will not win by the standard means. Like if you, if you can't win by the standard means, you have to use a new method. I think that's sort of like yeah. the point. And, and yeah. That's, and that's, yeah. If you're playing, you've got man coverage, which is what those guys were doing. Just making sure their own man didn't get the ball. Right. Mm-hmm. As opposed to his own coverage where you're just guarding the area of the court rather than a person. Mm-hmm. If you're playing man-to-man coverage, the way you beat that with is with effective passing and screens. Okay. So like a screen is where you – your screen is right now? Um, I'm going to describe it and tell me if I'm wrong. Okay, but it's where good. it's where if you're man-to-man, you have your teammate physically stand in front of your defender so that they get blocked while you pass by your teammate so you're free to shoot. Is that a screen? Yeah, but, uh, but, they, but they can be off the ball too. So like – I could not have the ball and you come screen my guy just get me open for a pass. Ah, okay. Got it. Um, but yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah. What's on the, what's on the docket for today? Dude, the docket. Um, we're, so when you, when you go south into, into Savannah, it's like, uh, there are parts of the, there are parts of it that are like not, like there's no road. Or there's a road, but it's not like a driving road. So it's like there's like city markets, like little squares, like a bunch of little tiny micro city squares, basically. And we're just going to explore that. Let's rock around, see the, see the statues, probably just drink, eat, eat, drink, probably go through a couple bookstores. That's the plan. There's not like um, go through a couple museums. There's a prohibition museum right across the street from uh, like a distillery. <laughs> so we're going to check that out. Dude, you should pick up uh, distills fitting for that area. Is uh, You should try and get some uh, uh, Civil War history book or two. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be especially good. Especially with like every, everything, especially with uh, – Everything we're experiencing right now, just in society and like mm-hmm. all the uproar, it'd be good to. Um, good to I mean, it's just relevant right now. It's good to yeah. Just, like, huh, what actually kind of happened? Right. Get some perspective. Because you know, it's really, dude. Here's what's really crazy. So if we if we if we talk about like the riots and the protests over George Floyd, um, I watched a clip by John Stewart, like, and this is when Trayvon Martin got killed. I think that was his name, um, a long, long time ago uh, by George Zimmerman. Yeah, I think that was his name, right? But anyway, I think it was after that, he was he was talking about it. Dude, these protests that they were showing, the sign, uh, it said, like, I can't breathe. So maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't Travis Martin, but it was another similar that's case. George, that's George Floyd, dude. No, I no, no, breathe. no, it, I'm, this was a riot from years ago. And someone was Wait, holding a sign called, I can't breathe. And they were rioting and protesting. Oh, shit, dude. It Sorry. literally, I watched the clip from years ago when Jon Stewart was still hosting The Daily Show. He's hosted that in like five years. And his clip literally looked like it was talking about George Floyd today. Ah, uh, dude, that's... It literally... That's fucked up. It was fucked up, man. And they were literally talking about reforming the police. They were talking about chokeholds. They were talking about all this stuff. Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it blew my mind. I watched that video and I was like, is this not talking about George Floyd today? And it was like, no, it wasn't. It was talking about something else and talking about the exact same thing. Like, we were literally repeating the same thing. And I was like, Jesus, dude. Like, I can see why people would be so mad when it seems like the same thing keeps happening over and over again. And obviously, there has been some change. Like, you can't watch two clips and then go, nothing has changed. Because I would believe that something has changed. But... Um, it was it was really mind mind opening to see that. So I think it would be good to get some historical perspective. See, see how people have made change in the past, 
how certain changes have helped or, or not helped. So, and also yeah, I, getting I roasted. Think having, I think I think the more you can educate yourself, the better equipped you are to make sound decisions. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think that's what the history is. The point of knowing your history is, is that so that you just it's. I mean, history is just like the ultimate test of ideas, you know. So you just you just go and like, oh, what do people think? What do they try? They tried this. Uh, that didn't work. All right, try this. Oh, that worked. Maybe we can do that now. Yeah. You know, yeah, have, have a grand idea how to run a society or changes that need to be made. I think the yeah, first thing you should do is go, hmm. Okay, people have been around for well, hundred thousand years, and they've kind of had civilization for probably five to ten thousand of those. I wonder if anyone's ever tried this before. <laughs> yep. Maybe before I jump into this idea just blindly, yeah. I should just go check if anyone else has tried this before and see how it turned out and what their obstacles were. Because most likely, somebody's tried something similar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And most likely, somebody else is putting a lot of work to telling you why it didn't work out. Right. They probably wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they'll also tell you what, sometimes people have good ideas and then they disappear. You know, like the, the, the good idea will go away. And it was, it was working great for whatever reason. People, you know, just kind of goes away and then you can kind of revitalize it, you know. So that could be a good idea. So probably pick up some and also just getting roasted uh, <laughs> the other day about like us not knowing our history. <laughs> kind of made me realize like I think we should probably pick up some just, just hit history books from 1800s all the way to today. Just, um, you know, just history within just a high level so we you know, kind of understand what has happened in the last 200 it's, years. It's on my, I've got like a book list I'm getting through and like mostly not a bunch of specific books, but then also a bunch of categories mm-hmm. and history is a big one on there. Yeah. Because uh, there's just so many things that I just, I have such a surface level understanding of and it's just, and it's just doesn't feel right in a lot of ways. Especially. What do you mean? Nothing felt right. It's like, it just doesn't feel right to not like, it kind of feels almost like a, to me, it almost feels like an obligation Mm -hmm. to learn these things. Mm. I mean, there's just so many. And I especially think that's true with the tragedies of human history. Mm -hmm. Because if you forget about them or don't, pay attention to what caused them like because most of the things that happen not most of but a fair few of the things that happen that are horribly tragic tra- uh, tragic you know take the holocaust or the rape man thing for example or the book ordinary men um mm-hmm. these aren't people that like the people committing these horrific acts aren't different than you and I. Mm-hmm. They're just, it's just like the Nazis just fundamentally, it's not like if you were in Germany at the time of Hitler's rising, you know, there was a high probability you would completely support it. Mm-hmm. And if you were a soldier in his army, there's a really high probability that you would have just gone along with the heinous crimes. Mm-hmm. And that's just, I mean, you can say, oh, I wouldn't do that, but you know, these, it's not like these people in German Germany were just evil fucking people. They were just normal people. Mm-hmm. Gotta watch those cuss words like that. But <laughs> yeah, they were just normal people. And so you, it's really important to study that stuff to understand what made these individuals commit such heinous acts. And that's the point of um, Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago mm-hmm. it was after the Russian gulags um, before and during uh, World War II. He, after he, and you know, he's a big supporter of the Communist uh, Party that rose in Russia that was kind of ultimately the cause of all of this death and destruction. Mm-hmm. he got to the end and instead of saying like just pointing his finger and blaming everybody else he sat down and thought to himself how did my actions how did my personal actions contribute to these atrocities 
Mm-hmm. And when you look back and you looked at and he got stories the entire time he was in the gulags, he gets stories from everybody. And then the, the, it's kind of a compilation of the, of all the stories that he heard. Uh, and so he just said, you know, any time that I didn't stand up to injustice, like that's the time that I mm-hmm. contributed. Mm-hmm. Or any time that I, you know, just went with the status quo, it's I was contributing. Mm-hmm. And so what he argues is that in order to prevent these large scale atrocities to happen, is you need to have a society where people are constantly standing up for what they believe is right. Mm-hmm. Just in there, but you, but it's, it's weird because you think like, oh, we need to focus on the big group to make sure it doesn't happen. It's like, no, you need to focus on your own life and make sure mm-hmm. that injustices don't happen to you and the people you love. Yeah. And, and if you do that, because you stand up for your own injustices, you're standing up for others too. Right. And so it's when you go to the society level, it's then you get into weird policies and it gets vague. And um, I think it relinquishes personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. from those that are being most affected because uh, but when you are personally being discriminated against especially on a large scale it's like you need to you need to say something and it's on small shit too mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it's a really interesting perspective it makes me think you know if I'm if I'm at work or something and like this hasn't really happened at work but I just imagine what if I was at work and, you know, my boss asked me to do something that was really unsafe. I knew it was unsafe. As soon as I go along with that, I'm not only putting myself in a danger, but I'm putting everybody in danger after me that might also comply. But as soon as you stand up to it, that's when stuff starts to stop. stop. Yeah. And so it's, it's yeah, you know, it puts you in a situation that just is dangerous or uncomfortable. But there's, there's, a, there's a level of moral obligation there to say something, not just for you but for everybody that's going to come through the job after you. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it won't be pleasant, but it's... Yeah, certainly. A hell of a lot better than letting things get worse and worse and worse. Right. I think that's where you run into... Um, man, I'm going to go Archipelago specifically. I wish someone would re... Not rewrite it, but just give a, a modern perspective or, or something, because... I got about a third of the way through and it was, it was, it was kind of repetitive and it was tough to like get through. Like just the language is different. Um, I don't know. Mine probably isn't because it's enormous. I would, I started doing that one too. It's really hard to get through. The abridged version has been, was like approved by the author and it Mm -hmm. cuts it down in like to a third of what it was. Really? Okay. I'm going to do that one then. Because the, yeah. yeah, the one I was reading was tough. It was good, you know, and it was great perspective. No, the points I, are amazing, but it's just, it, dude, it's not light reading. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just, it was tough, dude. It, it's it's like a book that you don't you don't like sit down and like really enjoy it thoroughly all the way through. Like you kind of you kind of sometimes it's a chore, <laughs> you know. You know, they got really got to chew through it. So yeah, I'll check out the abridged version. That'll probably be better. I heard it said though with books like that, you know, they're not meant to be. Like, for example, I just finished Lord of the Rings, and I've been reading The Hobbit. Like, Lord of the Rings are not really a particularly difficult read, and The Hobbit is literally a children's book. But, like, uh, The Hobbit, you know, I flew through the first, like, I think yesterday I read 160 pages of it, and it took me, like, no time at all. Like, it was just, it's just, like, you just fly through that thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, but, yeah, that's like, what I heard about The Hobbit, too. It was really short. Yeah, and so you just like you just absolutely fly through the, that book because it's just it's just so easy to read. Like if you miss a line here and there, like why you just get up the no big deal. Yeah, but books like the like do like Archipelago or um, I mean, there's a lot of books like like Modern Man and Search for Soul. You yeah, have to, they take a lot of time and they're very challenging to get through and to really yeah. wrap your head around what's happening. And so you just and I prefer to think of books that way that are that are big like that and it's really helped me my perspective and helped me like read them is that you know this isn't a book that you can read in a few days leisurely like it's a book that you need to sit down with on a regular basis and like mm-hmm. chat and challenge your way through it yeah books like that kind of make me feel like I'm 
you, you know in engineering where like you sit down a concept and it's like it's like just it's like it doesn't plug into your brain it's like you're just slamming your fucking brain against yeah, round, the concept round and, hole square peg exactly and you're like dude i just can't even get it and like <laughs> you know and you're just like fuck and a and like it's like it's speaking a different language to this concept and you know what i mean that's what it feels like some of these books sometimes but I think I think what you gotta do is the same thing we did in engineering. You literally just gotta sit down and practice. You gotta talk to someone who does get it. You know, put your ego in check and just say, "Man, I'm not getting this. What does this mean?" And then just like really get your way through it until you start to understand it. And then once you start to understand the concept, you know, like like calculus or something, you start to get it. And you go, oh, "Okay, now I'm clicking. Now I'm getting it." And I don't think I I just haven't done that with modern man search for meaning or Gulag archipelago yet i think i gotta probably reframe what those are and understand that I'm trying to gain that those are a challenge that i'm trying to gain something and it's not it's not going to be necessarily entertainment you know what i mean it's going to be like the hardest challenge. one that i've tried to read which i tried to go through a couple times that i just nietzsche right not even close it is um what do you say sorry just go ahead is uh anything by Nietzsche because <laughs> yeah. all these other like like psychologists and um, you know philosophers out of the 20th century are they just I mean everyone just is on Nietzsche's dick dude they just <laughs> love this guy they're just like and then I'm reading his book and I'm like oh, shoot what's the book called um you can go and pull it up if you want. Yeah, let me just, I'm curious what it is. I, it's, I want to say what it is. But I'm reading it, and I'm just like, you guys like talking about tarantulas and shit and being in the cave, and I'm like, dude, uh, beyond good and evil. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? And I'm like, <laughs> I'll like read it and like listen to it at the same time and just like, okay, okay, nope, dude, this is just, I'm like, what is this dude what is he on about? But Nietzsche also made the claim that other people defend that are not him. He said, I, he said, I can write more in a sentence than most authors can write in a novel. Actually, you know what? They couldn't even write in a novel. <laughs> but like you said, other people supported that, right? Other people are like, yeah, this yeah, is people true. Are like, you know, it's, it's the cockiest thing you could ever say, but it's true. And yeah. I don't, I mean, I read his book. I read his book, and I mean, I, if you could call it reading, if you don't comprehend it, more than ten percent of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I just, it just felt like nonsense to me. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's like I probably just need to work too slow because a lot of people I really respect just say it's great. So I'm probably just missing the meaning. It's like reminds me of, um, yeah, back to engineering you get this problem and you just can't get the answer and you go and you go the solution that they gave us must be wrong. Like the answer we're supposed to get to must be incorrect. Mm-hmm. It's just never the case. <laughs> no, dude, never the case. <laughs> You're like, I am absolutely doing this right. Understanding it fully. And I'm getting the wrong answer and I'm getting it again and again. The mm-hmm. solution must be wrong. Yeah. And you get kind of cocky and you like, cause in engineering, like, it's difficult enough that rarely, super duper rarely, you could be you could be correct over like the TA. Not necessarily the professor, but the TA. You know, if they made the problem, yeah, rarely. And you just get cocky and think it, and just not ever. It's just <laughs> yeah, it's never. You sit down, and you go, well, okay, well, I'm doing this, and they go, oh, well, in the beginning, you assumed you know the wrong variable. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I didn't I just, know that. Yeah, oh. and you come in there, and you're just ready to just tell. You're like, dude, up. I've got him. I've got him pinned this time. Yeah, and he just and he it, just goes. Nope. Who does do a lot of those guys? Because most of the time they don't get offended that you think they're wrong. They just kind of go. I mean, it's a little bit smug, but it's like mm-hmm. they feel smug. It's probably not at all. It just feels smug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're being yeah. smug for it. Right, it feels that way, but they're probably just like, "Hey, man, this is the deal. You're just misunderstanding yeah. something, and 
<laughs> what I'm gonna help know. you. They're like, yeah, I know what you mean, man. This is not. Yeah. <laughs> which is really, it. which is really nice. So you got a TA who's not, who's not a dick about it, and they're like, hey, man, I was right there. I get where you're going. Um, and what stopped me was I made this assumption. It seems like you're making the same one right here. And you're just like, you're right. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> but yeah, man. All right. Well, we're, I'm going to shower and I'm going to go take on Savannah. But this is a really good talk, dude. Dude, take it on. Post this yep. shit. I'm posting it, dude. All right. Post it. All right, man. <laughs> Check it out. It'll probably be, I'm going to post it. And then I guess it'll be, a, should be available in like 24 hours on world's greatest podcast and we can figure out the names and it won't be the world's best probably worlds but we can figure out which one we want to go with and delete that later once we're producing content once we have the problem that people are like oh i'm just so confused i want to consume your content but i'm so confused about where to find it i think then we i think once we have that problem we can really address it <laughs> Dude, i don't know i don't know how all 10 of our followers are gonna be able to figure it out or how we'll be able to communicate the message yeah Honestly, dude, it, it did feel really good, though. I know the 10 were just our friends and family, but it felt really good that we had people listening to it, and it said we had 10 followers. I was kind of tu- touched. I was like, oh, this is, like, really nice of you guys, because, I mean, I would have done it if they had asked me for sure, but I would have been like, uh-oh, what am I getting myself to do? Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> this is an hour and a half that might be very, very painful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was no, it was it was really cool to see friends and family just just listen to it and then just and then well most of them were pretty nice about the criticisms, but uh, but then get like some really good feedback about all the, the all the bad parts, which honestly I want I definitely I really appreciate it. and I want some feedback about all the bad things because it definitely made me realize like all right I got to get better, you know I got to get better about not cussing so much I got to get better about listening got to get better about filler words. So it's really nice to get that feedback. And, and be careful humbling. not to bullshit your history or facts. Yes. We, which we did a better job at this morning here. And actually, like, quoting the names and <laughs> the books, the titles. So, and it'll be nice because then sometimes I, God, it's so loud out here. I don't know if you hear that or not. But, um, yeah, but uh, it'll be nice to get the names and, just, just get everything right in, in life, and then I will stop making incorrect assumptions, you know? Because I'm like, well, actually, I don't know that, <laughs> you know? But anyway. Not... For just one super 20-second thought, but I was listening to yes. Rogan, and now, like, when I'm listening to Rogan, I'm, like, I'm very much paying attention to his just demeanor and how he talks. Mm-hmm. And I just – and he's so good at it, just – addressing the audience and mm-hmm. keeping his uh, guests engaged who a lot of times is not nearly as practiced, mm-hmm. but he's just very articulate and is good at being aware of what his audience has included into and explaining it at appropriate times, but then also staying engaged and clear and concise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, he, he is. All right, man. Have a good day. I'll talk to you later. Have a wonderful time in Savannah. Will do, dude. See you Uh, later. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. Bye.